Hello and welcome to Rockets Pockets. For the one or two of you that is actually listening to this show, uh, on the line today I've got uh, Royce Roberts, a uh, former military member. Uh, let, I'll turn it over to him. So he'll, he'll tell us a little bit, bit about himself. Go ahead, Royce. Yeah, hi. Uh, Royce Roberts, as, as advertised, uh, joins the military 99 um, moved along through the Patricias. Sorry, I, I, I'd always wanted to be uh, on the ground, combat arms kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, uh, infantry was my, believe it or not, my main goal, hoping for one day to do something like, uh, I don't know, Bravo 2-0, you know. These are the things that uh, I liked as a kid. And, uh, yeah, I kind of went from there and went on into Kansas and few tours. Kansas, for those that don't know it, is what? Uh, Canadian uh, Special Operations Force Command, I believe. It's been a little while, and I uh, I might be down on my acronyms, so we might have to clean a few things up afterwards or, or uh, clarify for those that need it. Sorry. Yeah, it's a so CSOR or, or JTF or um, what are the chemical guys? I can't remember their names. CGIRU, yeah. CGIRU, they're all under the CANSOF umbrella, so it's Canadian Special Operations Forces and... Uh, you were part of that. Yeah, correct. Yeah. I was, uh, uh, went in as an operator, uh, Pat went through selection in 08 and then in, uh, 2010 sort of got into, uh, the, the forward air control game and that kind of became my mark, I guess. Tell us a little bit about, uh, what, what an operator is and uh, what you go through to become an operator. Without, without breaking any national secrets. <laughs> I, I don't think I know any. Not, not now, anyway. Um, operators, basically, since it's Canada, and uh, we don't have nearly the breadth of, of, of fancy things like the States do, I guess uh, kind of fills in the role, uh, you know, Tier 2 uh, Special Forces, sort of like, uh, green berets or you know average seals or rangers type of thing uh between the hostage rescue guys at uh at the at the really precise end and uh if anybody pays any attention to to canada i mean i think they're the they're the only real game that anyone knows much about uh, at this point and i mean they've been the big show for uh, a long while and they're they're awesome at their job uh yeah they're the uh, they're like our version of you know SEAL Team Six, uh, British SAS, you know they're they're the they're the scalpel. Seesaw uh, kind of bridges that gap, sort of between uh, infantry. Just to interrupt you again, Seesaw yeah. is the Canadian Special Operations Regiment. Yes. Yep. Sorry, uh, regiment. Uh, yeah, and that that was uh, that was my role, and uh, I sort of fit in there, uh, playing with aircraft for a couple of years and and trying to wrap my my mind around that. Sorry. To become an operator, what did you uh, undergo? Um, application selection process, uh, it's, it's changed, uh, numerous times over the years. Um, and basically selections, just that, you know, they're selecting for the, uh, the qualities that they want, uh, in a person that they feel is going to fill that role the best. I mean, you know, for, for one reason or another, uh, mine was back in 2008. Like I said, a lot's changed from then. And, uh, yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know how much we're supposed to get into, but you know, it's physically demanding and uh, mentally taxing and they keep you, uh, awake and uh, confused. And at the end of it, they decide if, uh, if you've got what they, what they're looking for. 
I got divorced uh, from my first wife, 2007 range. And uh, I'm like, okay, there's this new, you know, seesaw. You know, I, I didn't know anything about it. I had a few friends that have gone into it. And they're like, man, just just try it out. You're going to love it. It's all the stuff we talked about back in battalion. And I was like, okay. Um, I give it a shot thinking that um, if I liked it, fantastic. And if, and if I was if I was good at it, maybe it would springboard me or I'd have a chance to go from there into JTF. Uh, and if I didn't like it, at least I did it. Uh, it was like, you know, I was 33 years old and it was my, uh, my, my early midlife crisis, I guess, you know, after my divorce, it was something for me. But yeah, originally I did want to go JTF. That, that changed over time. But yeah, that was the original plan. You were how old when you joined? I uh, joined the military at 23. I think I finished selection for for Seesaw uh, at 33, I believe, 32, in that range. Um, did you go yep. on any tours prior to becoming an operator? Um, I had done uh, not, not, not Afghan tours. I missed all that. Uh, I had got in on a, a short deployment in 2003, uh, into uh, the Emirates, uh, setting up a defense and security platoon, uh, or, or like guard stations and huts and patrols around uh, a base that was starting to get a little more popular back then. Um, and it was still and a national I, secret. Sorry, and it was still a national secret, I believe, at that time. Yeah, at that point in time, it it was it was pretty cool to me that I was going someplace that I couldn't tell anybody about. So yeah, it was yeah at the time it was pretty pretty secretive, and I, I was I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> It was a pretty good go. I was there for six months. Yeah, it, it was a good go. The biggest complaint they had was that uh, the the infantry guys were eating too many of the cookies yeah. in, in the all. And I mean, that, that's that, that's not a big complaint overall. I heard one guy complaining there weren't enough desserts. And if you remember the dessert table there, it was loaded with desserts. I remember the dessert table. And I remember, yeah, I remember thinking that everybody was well fed as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, the only guys that didn't bitch were the ex-infantry or combat arms guys who uh, yeah. ended up switching into an Air, air Force trade or, you know, airplane mechanic or something to do with airplanes because they knew how good yeah. they had it. Yeah, it is a different life. I, I get to see a lot of that um, as well. Uh, I spend a lot of time on my own playing with the Air Force uh, as the JTAC once I get into that role. And it's it's a they got a pretty sweet life overall. How long were you How long you with uh, JTAC? Because uh, I, I, I met you while we were at Seesaw. Yes, um, yeah. And, uh, um, yeah, I believe, uh, the first time I met you was during, uh, the year long training uh, and you were teaching me some, how to, how to shove uh, an orange tube down my nose at an uncomfortable rate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a lot of fun. <laughs> I enjoyed watching the guys gag it on that one. Yeah, so um, we're, for those that don't know, we were sticking uh, nasal cannulas, um, into each other's nostrils so that, uh, it would keep an open airway in case somebody had facial injuries, couldn't breathe through their mouth. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't want to bastardize the name of it. Yellow rubber tube is about as close as I could have came to getting that right. Yeah. In, in the air, sounds like National Public Radio or whatever. <laughs> well, it works just fine. Um, so then uh, you were you were an operator, and you became a. Uh, sorry, you 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 specialized again in what? Uh, JTAC, uh, Joint Joint Terminal Attack Controller, which is basically. The new term for forward air control, which is the uh, the guy on the ground talking to the airplanes to make everything coordinate uh, between those two. It's it's like a, a dog handler for airplanes that has to run around like an idiot with a gun as well. 
And basically, you're that uh, handler so that they get to uh, drop the bombs where they need to drop the bombs. Yep, when required. Or I, uh, I also had to keep them separated by space in the air so nobody crashed into each other or clear the way, clear the way if something had to be dropped and then control the uh, the sensors on the on the various aircraft to make sure that everything was covered off you know it, it was just the entire time was mostly just talking uh, you're almost you're almost zoned out half the time of the fight because you're paying attention so much to what's going on trying not to like it, it was the limit of what my little mind could run you know I got like a Commodore 64 running you know, gigabytes of things that I can't understand, you know? And for those listening, Royce is selling himself incredibly short here. The uh, the outfit he joined and got selected into is a very demanding. They're looking for guys who are highly intelligent, can think outside the box, and uh, Royce is selected as one of those guys. So uh, he's playing is playing his uh, role down a little bit here, but uh, what he did was incredibly important to the success or failure of a mission. So yeah, don't don't bullshit you. Royce. Don't bullshit us. I'll call you on it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I I, I do believe, uh, yeah. In all honesty, one hundred percent with all of my uh, all of my pride and ego and and, and hubris, it, it is a really important job. And I and I thought um, I was just barely able to pull. I don't think anybody's as good as they think they are. Um, but you know, I, I was terrified to make a mistake, you know, but anxiety turned out to be my superpower over my career, you know, that I, I, I would, I would be so terrified to screw up, uh, something like that. And, you know, blow up the wrong people or fly two planes into each other, or put a mortar through a wing that, uh, yeah, that, that, that fear and terror of, of something horrible, uh, made me at least capable of doing that job. So I'm, I'm not going to give myself too much credit, but yeah, it, it is a demanding job. And, and I did manage to get through it for a fairly long time without anything too destructive, uh, you know, in the negative category. Well, aircraft controllers alone have an incredible rate of mental burnout. And then you add the extra duties that you ha- had. Um, the stress, the stress for many people would have been insurmountable. Uh, uh, it was for me, I believe. It was insurmountable, you believe? I think uh, one of the biggest contributors to where I am today was not realizing the, the burnout that I had ran into long before I had ever went looking for mental help. Right. So which brings us on to the most direct question. You, you were diagnosed with PTSD, correct? Yes. PTSD and anxiety and yeah, a, a few mental things, you know, that, that we're still searching through now, like just sort of realizing now that there's more moral injury than I ever would have realized. Because I think at one time, you know, the, your, your morals are, are somewhat corrupted, but yeah, correct. PTSD is my, is the reason that uh, I'm no longer you fit universality of service. Yes. And if you don't mind, go into uh, the incident or incidents um, that brought the PTSD on. Okay. And uh, this is where you're going to, paint me into a corner that I've been stuck in for a long while. And I've gone through a lot of hours of therapy and whatnot to try to figure this out. But the truth is I don't know of any one incident that on its own contributed to my, uh, my conditions. Uh, I've got various things that now wear in, in various measures and like weighted averages of things that were, were hard on me. Um, there's, there's different things I've done that it's the culmination of all the things I believe that broke, uh, finally broke me. 
Right, because and and just to clarify things here for the people that are listening, that one guy besides you and me, um, PTSD is not um, necessarily triggered by one event um, or one experience. Sometimes it's a a parade or cascade of events. That uh, I, I, to be careful here, I don't want to insult anybody with PTSD that's listening, but that can trigger that can trigger the the in, injury. Let's call it. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, that's correct. And I mean, I have to, I, I've actually had to understand that some of these things that, you know, I was getting mad about throwing fits about are actually what they refer to as triggers. And that's a hard thing for guys like us to accept, you know, from the, from the, from the world where we came from, you, you know, how many years were you in that you can't, you can't accept weakness or you know, you never even went to the, the UMS MIR in the morning when, when, you know, you had something wrong, you know, people yeah. jumped out of airplanes with, you know, broken ankles just to, just to prove things. And you know, our, our, uh, view on weakness is really, really flawed in the military and, and that kind of tribe, I believe. Yeah. And I would agree with you and I'm, I'm coming at it from a medical, uh, standpoint and even, even as a close support guy, like I was, so I, you know, I was never combat arms, but I was mm-hmm. fortunate enough to be deployed with the combat arms infantry in specific, in, in particular for the, for a good chunk of my career. Um, the, the egos don't allow us often to, to go out and seek help. And, uh, I, I'd, I'd be talking to guys about what they needed to do, come in and get some help. Um, and burying my own issues kind of thing. Um, yes, that, that's the, uh, yeah, it's that brotherhood thing too, where it's like, you know, you, you watch it for other people, but you never see it in yourself. And because you're not weak, you're not that guy. I remember when I finally had to, to check myself and I had to check myself into JPSU. I just walked over. I was I, because I didn't feel I was getting the help I needed through the chain of command because I wasn't asking the right questions and nobody was dragging it out of me because uh, it's easy for them to ignore it. If you allow them to ignore it, because you're a really expensive piece of equipment and, uh, and they want that piece of equipment working. Yeah. And if you're willing to work and keep working, they are willing to sign off on that is, is uh, I'm, I'm going to go out in the limb and say that that's, that's true. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I know uh, a, psych- a psychologist friend of mine um, who, who dealt often with military guys in uh, PTSD issues. And he, he said at the time and Afghanistan it's been over since what 2015. Is that when we pulled out? I should know this, um, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, sure. Let's say 2015. I, I honestly, and the the funny part is, I don't pay that much attention to the military anymore. And it's not. I I love the guys. I wish I could still do a lot of the things. I loved war. Um, that's in some ways. Sorry, I hated it in other ways. Don't get me wrong. But, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's there's a lot of emotion, and that that was the same yeah, walking into the JPSU and saying like, "I need help. I am going to cause harm to somebody." You know, at, by the end of it, I was a raging alcoholic, living by myself. Um, uh, you know, living on the, the heavy fuel mentality that all these guys think that you know you you, you want to live like an expendable by the end of it because it's just easier to live that way and drink your way through it and get on to the next thing because the next thing is going to be exciting and it gets rid of that, uh, that dull boredom of being back feeling like useless again and feeling, feeling, you know, like you're a failure because you feel weak. You don't feel weak when you're deployed. You feel like a hero, you know? 
So did you, yeah, a, a superhero sometimes, because you don't, you, you think, you got to think you're the best to be the best. And yes. you get caught up in that. And, and when something that you think you should have been able to control or something you should have foreseen happening, you, you didn't control it or didn't foresee it happening. And that, that bites away at your ego and your psyche. And uh, you end up with, well, with mental health issues. Yeah, uh, yeah, I can relate. I remember thinking, like, because I've never been, you know, one of the, you know, the guys you've you've, you've been around uh, those physical specimens that you know they're just you know, they're amazing at everything they do, and I always had to work harder at it. But I thought my advantage was the fact that you know I had this bulletproof mind that okay, I uh, I don't have a, a quit in me, and I, I thought I I thought I developed or learned that over years, you know. And uh, the thing is, I didn't, I, I might not have had much quit, but I didn't have enough brains to ask for help either. And sometimes maybe it would have been a little more beneficial to put a little more quit in early just to sit back and say, I'm not out of it. I need to get a little bit of help before I'm ready to run back at it. You know, cause I believe myself and many others went down the same path where you just keep burning it um, and, and hoping that you can push through and it'll just be, you know, it'll be better later. And you constantly devolve into a little more sad. If you don't take care of yourself, you need to take care of yourself no matter who you are. That's it. And I didn't. Yeah. So you, you um, realize there's something going on with you, like something mentally um, out of place um, before the, before the medical system did, or did the medical system say you've got PTSD, and uh, that's when they, that's when they, that you came to the realization? Um, now I'm, I'm gonna have to. I don't think that they caught it. Um, I went for help uh, to see a psycho- psychiatrist uh, at one point in time, and I was like, okay, here's what's going on, and he's like, you know, sure, and we had to talk for a while, and. It just it culminated in, in, you know, I was still holding a lot of things in and not talking, you know, and, and I wasn't ready to admit a lot of things. And so, like I said, they were they were willing to let me not admit things for whatever reason. You know, maybe it's because, you know, the, it's, it's the best way to do it. I don't know. Maybe that's the best way to deal with people that don't want to admit things is to let them figure it out on their own. But they did. And I, and I think um, yeah, I think I truly I figured it out more through friends who other soldiers uh, that said like, dude, you know, you need help. Basically. You're not right. You're not right. Yeah. I can give a shout out to to a a couple of friends of mine that, you know, uh, that I worked with uh, on a regular basis that said, you know, dude, are you all right? Way too often, you know? And, and, and the same, I did the same to other people, you know, it was, it wasn't just, I was the, the lone leper in the colony by no means, but at some point in time, uh, a, a lot of guys need help and don't know it. And I was there for a while before I realized it. But yeah, I, but I think my friends realized it before I did, and and they realized it definitely before work did. Yes. And what what did they notice that uh, they were concerned about you? That made them concerned about you? Um, just that, that that negative behavior towards yourself. That you know, you, you've seen a guy. We've all seen guys that have get divorced or whatnot, and they're coming into work and they're not putting their best foot forward. You know, the their the shavings a bit off. They got their shoes laced funny. You know. Any number of things, and this is any job, not just the army, of course. Yeah. But you know, the more when yeah, you're supposed to be, uh, you know, 
but well you, turned out. You and I would recognize it quicker because we've been experienced experience it so much more often. I believe so. Yeah. And, and I think just those kind of things and me ranting and throwing fits about things because, uh, towards the end of my time in, in Cesar, um, I was already done being a JTAC by this point. I had, I had burned out and, and tried to find something else I could do that, uh, that held me over. But until I got <laughs> until my 20 years, never made it anyway, long story short. Um, yeah, sorry. By the time I, by the time I realized it, it, it was too late. Yeah. Sorry. So, how how did the uh, so you were finally diagnosed with uh, PTSD? Um, what 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 treatment? What uh, what treatment did you receive? And uh, what kind of support did you get from uh, the unit itself? Ooh. From the unit itself, um, I, not a lot, honestly. Um, I think I can say that. In, in all fairness. Uh, it wasn't until I went to JPSU that I really found that I was getting that the help I needed. Sorry. You know, there, there's, there's things there and maybe I wasn't using them properly. Maybe I wasn't reaching out asking properly, but I feel like I screamed for help in silence to people that should have been able to pick up on this. You know, there's a lot of quote unquote leaders that I talked to higher ranking people and whatnot as well that, you know, should have been able to see these signs before I should have, especially when I'm saying like the, the, the anger and frustration that I have over, over seeing myself and other people falling into this, you know, people getting drunk constantly and, or drinking and driving or any number of things, you know, Coke habits, all because they can't face certain things and they're just stuck in a rut. Like I was. Yeah. I'm actually, uh, you, you bring up cocaine, uh, uh, use, and uh, I was surprised at the number of guys over the years that I met um, who use cocaine. Um, yep, there's all there's a more than more than you'd expect, I assume. And yeah, well, more than most people would suspect. I ended up dealing with it fairly frequently, not cocaine so much, but drug use in general. And it was often by guys who uh, were exper- experiencing mental health anxieties or mental health issues, um, or. Um, survivor guilt or missing combat and they wanted that rush that adrenaline um that quick fix which some drugs can bring um yeah not necessarily looking forward to knowing what uh how much more stress that it could bring to them if they're found out (laughs) so or ignoring that or understanding that stress and ignoring it simply because it's more adrenaline yeah or the fact that you know there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of animosity for, between the ranks and, and leadership in a lot of cases too, where they're like, you know, when you feel like a lot of people there felt underappreciated and overworked and uh, you know, you're like, ah, you know, this is what happens, you know, and a lot, a lot of guys turn to a lot of different things. But they I, were, never really, I never really get into the Coke myself, but you know, I know a lot that did. Yeah. But the thing is you were overworked. I mean, that again, it comes back to the amount of guys um, coming into the, the UMS, the unit medical station. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it was, I wouldn't say it was a high turnover, but you did notice after a time guys coming in and they were stressed, they were burning out, but the tempo was so high, the, the command, the guys that were ordering people out the door were doing it over and over and over again. And they were getting the reports from medical and uh, the mental health professionals saying, 
these people are burning out. The tempo is too much. But the government asks, and what's the motto? We will find a way. Yeah, and right. So, and, and that comes at a cost. And often that's the, the cost is not necessarily a physical amputation or an injury, but a mental health issue. And, um, you know, guys burn out under that stress. They develop PTSD, um, depression, anxiety, all, all those things, which, which can be part of PTSD as well, but can also occur individually. Um, so, yeah, back, back over to you again. Your friends are noticing um, you're more angry, drinking more, being more reckless, not giving a fuck kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, and, and the unit is basically turning a blind eye to it, or the command is sort of turning it. Would you, I'm not trying to put mouth, words in your mouth here, but would you say the command is sort of turning a blind eye towards it and, and sending guys out the door when they shouldn't be? I would say they were doing what they had to do as well. The military isn't, um, it's a machine, you know that, and it needs to have moving parts to keep doing the job that it's, that it's paid to do, you know, or, and, uh, if, if those parts are still working and not replaceable yet with new parts, uh, and, and those parts are still willing to, to hold on, then, then it'll keep pushing forward. I can't, I can't fault the military. Uh, I can fault the leadership um, in certain places in the military, but, you know, but the military on the whole is this big, you know, conglomerate. It, it, it's always going to be a machine. It has to be, and it, it has to chew up young, healthy people and turn out old, broken people if they survive in order to keep progressing forward. And I just happened to get churned up in a different way than others. That, that's it. How old were you when you joined? I joined military itself. I was 23. 23. So you were a little older when you joined. Yeah. Third oldest guy on my battle school course, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Which, like I said, I was an old guy for the infantry back then and so, not compared to, you know, a few that have come through since, but yeah. Yeah. I, remember I spoke to uh, Derek. We both know him. And yep. I, I said, I joined at 25, but I was actually 24 when I joined. And I, of course I was one of the older guys as well. But as older guys, I think we realize um, or recognize the stress and we push through it. I mean, I got, I remember guys in uh, Petawawa, Petawawa in Cornwallis, because that's where I did my uh, basic, um, going on about, uh, they're putting saltpeter in the food because I'm not waking up with morning wood. Yeah. And I'm going, you might not have that morning wood, but it's because you're under an incredible lo- bunch of strain or stress that you've never been under before. So you're going to experience things not working. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've experienced things. That, and I mean, that down to anxiety and everything, you know, the, carrying on with that, that, you know, it all, it all ties together with being anxious from, you know, being scared of failing battle school to whatever else. And anxiety also plays a lot on that, you know, your performance on a lot of things, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So the unit itself, you felt treated you okay. What about? Sorry, no, but I'm not going to really fault anybody in, particular or the unit itself in particular individuals uh miss the mark on certain things or 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 willingly turned a blind eye on certain things uh, and but that's not that's you know that's individuals that's not seesaw that's not the command the, the command is busy and they need to be busy uh currently and and i can't fault them i'll fault individuals but i'm not going to call anybody out right here on it yeah. you know yeah i'm not going to get you to um, so the medical system itself, how do you f- feel you were treated that way? Did things 
go smoothly for you? Were you just throwing a bunch of stupid shit or, or how did that work? I'm going to say, I'm going to say more the latter. I do not feel like it went smooth in any way, shape or form. I don't feel like I was prepared to release. I don't feel like I ever knew what was going on. Um, then again, the only caveat I have to that is that my, my way of dealing with things or, or understanding things is, has been diminished and I get frustrated easily and I throw paperwork and don't do it, you know? And, uh, and so I didn't do myself any favors either on the way out, but I feel like they know that, or they should know that by now. I'm not the first person to be released with mental injuries that, that has a really hard time doing administration or, or dealing with frustration. You know, this is something I feel they're missing in the system you know, they give you a, all these people that, you know, you call and talk to and then, and then you, you, you get confused. I do, man. I'm sure others do. Cause I've heard it from a lot of people that, uh, that, you know, you just feel like you're doing it on your own. You're releasing on your own. And by the time you're out, you know, you're, you're, you're on your own again and you've been, and then, and then that just continues that descent into isolation, which does worse things for vets. I believe than uh, than kicking them out in the first place. Well, what I've said to uh, other guys I've interviewed, and uh, I certainly said to my troops under me over the years, um, the military says you're you're part of one big family, and we're there for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes f- time for you to walk through those gates uh, off the base, they're not there for you anymore. There's no there's no association or um, any any safety net where they where they invite you back, say to a um, a Pacino Day, or you know, one of one of the the holidays of the unit, or something. There's uh, right, and and I feel, <laughs> excuse me, I feel like you know, I, I watched all those things, and I and I, I always you have this idea of how your career is going to go. And I've got, I don't care at this point at all, but you know, you, you go through these things, and and you, you're like, okay, at some point in time, somebody's going to give you. Uh, you know, the pat in the back and be like, attaboy. And I don't mean your friends or guys that you, you know, were in firefights with or, yeah. or war or, or any other number of things because you know you're appreciated or whatnot through them. I mean the unit. You know, the military is itself. Uh, you, you watch all these guys get out and they leave and, and there's high fives and, you know, they, they're handed a thing and they tell them, you know, everybody a, a couple of a dick and fart jokes about something stupid this guy does, does and send them on their way. But when you, when you leave through the medical system, like I did, everything comes in the mail by people that you didn't know unless it, unless in my case it took somebody I knew to to actually go get it for me because it, you know I got the the plaque I got had the wrong name on it or the, sorry the wrong dates on it and the wrong you know rank and you're like Jesus yeah. you know do you care that fucking little yeah. that I did all this shit that I dumped my entire fucking life into you people you know and I did I I 100% did yeah, I never wanted to be a JTAC. I turned it down three times. In fact, uh, to three different people outranking me, and and you know this was their choice through what they wanted. You know they wanted, they needed JTACs, um, and and I bit the bullet because of all the promises made from people that were like, "Listen, you know we need this. Uh, don't worry, you're going to be treated great for it." You know, and, and you're like, oh, "For fuck's sakes, I'm not smart enough for this." Uh, and you bite the bullet and go for it. And then I spend the re- you know, e- years after that feeling, feeling the way that, and, and I tell you, that's honest. Like when I, when you said earlier that I'm, I'm under undervaluing, maybe I am in some ways I've always had, uh, what, uh, what, what they now refer to as imposter syndrome in some ways that I was, 
never good enough for what I was doing, you know, and especially in a job where Jesus, I'm, uh, I'm controlling millions of dollars worth of aircraft and trying not to blow up my friends or, or a neighboring village or that little girl that's on the other side of someplace. Uh, meanwhile, you know, trying to blow up people that are, uh, need to be blown up or do need to be blown up. And, you know, it, it, it was a lot for my plate and I didn't want to do it. I really didn't. I remember getting the brief on uh, JTAX when they had that, <sighs> we're going through the, uh, the course to get into Seesaw and, uh, and they were like, Oh, you know, here's some of the capabilities that you're going to, that we're going to need out of you people. And uh, a major came in, you know, uh, tall, handsome, well-spoken talking about, you know, aircraft and all this stuff. And the guy beside me is like, man, I want to do that so much. And I'm like, fuck that. Not me. You know, I don't want to be responsible for winging two planes into each other or putting a bomb through something like I, this was my midlife crisis. I wanted to have a little more muscles, a cool set of sunglasses, ball cap on a schmag going through the desert with a 50 cal. You know what I mean? That yeah. That's all I wanted. I wanted to be a fucking dude for a few years and go to, you know, go to do these cool things, travel and see things that I missed, you know, that I, that I always dreamed of, you know, but I, Soldiers were my heroes growing up. My grandfather was a, Viet- or a Vietnam Jesus. He was a vet from World War II, you know, and I heard his stories growing up, and he didn't talk to anybody much about things that, except me, you know, uh, and, and actually, sorry, and two other uh, stepsons of his that were in military as well. Military and, and really, he was the only one in in my my immediate family, but he was he was my hero growing up, you know what I mean? You you. He's the guy that's, he was large. He's one of those people that's larger than life. You know, he, whatever he wanted to do, he did it. Um, and, and at the time, you know, I was like, I've got to live like that. And then you watch movies like uh, Rambo. Actually, I saw first blood uh, when I was about 10 years old. Yeah. And I remember the, the trying to wrap my head around the contrast of how this guy, you know, he, he's, he's a super soldier and he's jumping off fucking cliffs into trees and taking down the national guard, you know, because they're fucking with him. But at the end of the movie, he's in tears in a hardware store, you know? And I'm like, what the fuck's going on? You know, how, how is this guy this week? And, and you know, uh, and now it makes a lot more sense, you know, yeah. like you don't, you just don't shut it off. And, and that's, that's, that's a true thing that I didn't understand at all until, uh, until things changed for me, you know, do you, do you think PTSD can be cured? I don't know. I really don't know. I think it can be dealt with, um, in many cases. I, I'm not saying every case I'm saying there's, there are people that are, and I mean, I think the numbers, uh, speak for themselves that, People, there are people that just never, never come out of it in any way, shape, or form. And I, and with the recovery rate I'm at, or what, what's happening with me, I, I am, I am, sh- I am in no way, shape, or form, um, cured or or fixed. Um, I, you know, I am, but I believe there's a light at the end of the tunnel for myself and many others, at least, by 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 honestly facing things and working through it and and trying to see what now. Like that's all I thought I ever wanted growing up. I I got to I got to live my dream in a way that ninety I mean, high ninety percent of people never do. You know, though. You know, Andy McNabb, Bravo Two Zero. You know, and traipsing around the deserts with guns and going to war. Like I never thought that would ever happen. Um, and I'm not saying that that makes that, that was my dream and it was a childish dream, but I wanted to have 
those feelings of am I good enough or am I, you know, would I have the constitution to stay there? And I, like they say, never meet your heroes. You know what I mean? But but I'm glad I did. Yeah. I, I got mean, to work with people that were incredible on, on, on all, all the way through the military, not just CSOR, you know, but I mean, in all other countries and all other places. And, and I got to really see um, an honest look at a lot of things. And I'm happy with that. Yeah. It just, it just took its fucking toll. That's all. And I, I realized the world's a fucked up place. Yeah. And yep. I realize how fucked up it is to want to go to war. You know, I mean, I didn't join as a, as a young starry eyed kid. I mean, I, I had a, an idea of the risks myself when I was, was I, was I, I when I was joining, joining, yep. but I wanted to experience combat. I wanted to, to see what kind of stress I could handle. And I couldn't think of anything more stressful than combat. Um, that was exactly it for me too. You're like, yeah, well, I was, I, I thought, you know, where else, where else can you put yourself through something that, you know, no matter what you can't, you can't, sh- you can't change the outcome. You can't take yourself out of you. There's no tapping out. This isn't UFC. You know, you can't just be like, Oh, uh, I don't like what he did. He kicked me nuts or you know, I'm being choked. This is like, you know, you, you, you can't quit in the middle of being pinned down. You may realize you never want to do it again. And you may quit out of any number of things afterwards. But all you can do is carry on or or, or quit right there. And they have effects and, and outcomes that nothing else can match, you know? Yeah. And, and, and again, how fucked up is that thinking, you know? And- yeah. Yeah, it's, it's more common. It's funny that a lot of guys just don't say it to uh, – I don't. I don't. Uh, I, mean, I have because I've, I've actually – the problem with me is with sometimes with my family, they get to see it or wear it more than most. And I'm, ah, it's, it's horrible because in my mind, I'm trying to do with things openly and honestly. And sometimes that means I'm open and honest too much to them as well, you know? And, and that's, it's, it's hard for them. I, I really dump a lot of shit in my family's lap as well. Yeah. Well, Unintentionally, you, you but it doesn't other, matter. If it's intentional. You don't have other army dings around you to dump it on. So you go yeah, where, not, where you can dump if you will. Yeah, and it's harder, and it is hard. But you look at like you've watched you've watched Fight Club, right? You know, one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, and you know, you, you it's the same idea as there was a quote from Brad Pitt's character, something along the lines of, you know, once you've been in a fight, the rest of the world gets the volume turned down. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's great. I've been in I've been in fist fights uh, a few times. I'm not a I'm not an overly violent person, but there's nothing compared to you know that visceral um the reality that comes with the fact that any second you could step on something that ends or that 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 crack you heard uh you know it's amazing it is it's like the only thing i can liken it to is watching bullfights because of the only other thing that's left that's as real where something else um, dies, you know, something's going there to compete with something else. And and that's the mistake I made thinking that war is a competition that I can win, but by, by will or whatnot, I get through that by luck and a lot of good people that I work with. You know, I I know a lot of people that are better than I am at a lot of things, definitely better soldiers that are now, uh, you know, in, in what some would consider a better place because uh, they took one or they got, they got lucky or, or, or made it home. And then uh, their injuries followed them home. And then they killed themselves, you know? Yeah. 